The Competitive Contractor Podcast is brought to you by Shivendra and Co. Visit Shivendra.com to find out how you can work with us to grow your construction business, be more profitable, and be a competitive contractor. Hi everyone, it's Shivendra Kumar welcoming you to the Competitive Contractor Podcast, a podcast for owners and leaders of construction companies globally. The construction industry does not have any choice but to change. The infrastructure that the country needs to progress cannot be delivered in the time frames needed unless the industry transforms or rather is enabled to transform why you might say we are struggling to recruit people due to our work conditions we spend a lot of time on disputes and negotiation we don't focus enough on topics of importance such as the environment we don't innovate and some of our work methods are centuries old we are stuck in the past with past baggage in history that might have brought us here but definitely won't carry us forward successfully so what's being done by those leading the industry are the right stakeholders involved in the conversation joining me today to discuss this is john davis the ceo of australian constructors association john was recently invited to participate in the jobs and skills summit as the head of the australian constructors association from july 2020 john has over 30 years of construction industry experience supporting the successful commercial delivery of projects in australia the middle east uk and asia john is a passionate advocate for change he is driven by a desire to ensure that every level of the industry is sustainable resilient to boom and bust cycles and able to deliver the infrastructure society needs in a collaborative and efficient manner john thanks for being with me here and great to have you back as a guest on my podcast after 2 years thanks for having me shiv i i really can't believe it's been 2 years yeah time flies out quickly So for the benefit of the audience can you share some information on the Australian Constructors Association its members and its objectives Yeah sure no problem at all um so ACA has actually been around for 30 uh, years now uh, not, not a lot of people would know that because for a lot of that time it really did a lot of its work behind closed doors you know the sort of uh, quiet diplomacy um but a couple of years ago a decision was taken that um that wasn't really getting us where we wanted to be and we wanted to sort of become uh, more outwardly focused and outwardly engaging and, and I came on board and really our association is the only association that covers all three key sectors of the construction industry so that's horizontal vertical and construction services and it's also a little bit different from others in that it's 100% advocacy focused it's not about the services uh, generally speaking all of our members are big enough and ugly enough to look after themselves this is about having the conversations the really important conversations and the the conversations that sometimes individual companies might struggle to to have with clients and in terms of what our focus is you know it, we're really about creating a more sustainable construction industry um i sometimes say that that's sort of just below world peace in terms of trying to uh, being something that's obtainable given our past history but it's certainly something that we are really focused on and we believe there are three key pillars to a sustainable construction industry uh one is an, an improved industry culture we also need sufficient capability capacity and skills and we need equitable and aligned commercial frameworks and you know we think all of those three things are interlinked and and the best example i can give of that is if we look at the commercial frameworks that we've used over the last i don't know 10 to 20 years even they've driven a very 
adversarial culture within our industry. And now that adversarial culture is really impacting on our ability to attract and retain the people that we need to get into the industry. And at our uh, strategy day back in May, we, we've added another component to this. So we've got this three-legged stool, if you like, and there's a, we've now put a little cushion on that stool, which is um, environmental sustainability, because that is really, really important. And that really sits across all of those three key pillars. Yeah. So it's uh, like from what I see, I think the ACA plays a very important role in the industry. And uh, looking at the topics you're addressing, they're all very relevant. And I think it not only affects the, I guess, your members, but the industry in general, from the subcontractors to those who are employed by the industry, a bit of influence on people who eventually benefit from the infrastructure uh, as well. And all of this information that I hear, a large bit of it comes from media. So I know you guys have been really busy with a lot of the advocacy initiatives. So do you mind talking about some of the, uh, let's say, the highlight initiatives of the 12 months? I know if you go through the full list, it's going to be the entire podcast. So some of the <laughs> highlights of the 12 months, if you can. Yeah, sure, Shiv. I mean, it has been really busy 12 months. I, I think one of the biggest issues that we've been focused on in the last six months has been the issue of in, import price escalation. We've seen very significant escalation in cost of labor, cost of materials, and that's really important for our industry or big issue for our industry because more often than not, we are all too keen to lock ourselves into fixed price lump sum contracts for projects that in many cases can take two to three years to build. So this significant price escalation, which in some cases is, is anything up to 70%, has the real ability to impact on the sustainability of the industry if it's not properly addressed. So, you know, we've been putting a lot of effort into that, talking to especially government delivery agencies, not just about the need to include provisions in contracts going forward so that that risk is not a risk that's necessarily borne by contractors, but also to say, well, look, you know, those contracts that are already on foot where the contractor may actually have that risk, it's still not in your interest, Mr. Government, to let the contractor suffer because of that. The, because this flows down all the way through the supply chain and impacts the sustainability of the whole supply chain. And it's not in anyone's interest to see the level of insolvencies that we currently see. So that has been a, a big focus. We have continued our support and focus on the need to change the culture of the industry through um, the Construction Industry Culture Task Force, which uh, produced a draft culture standard uh, at the end of last year. And now there are five trial projects in New South Wales and Victoria that are about to commence uh, where they're going to be trialing that culture standard. That's a really important initiative. But I guess a big one is around the opportunity back to the federal government. You know, the federal government historically has not really paid too much attention to the construction industry. It, it really likes the infrastructure that it builds and the, you know, the economic flow on the $3 return for every dollar invested in infrastructure. But it hasn't really put too much focus on how that infrastructure is constructed and the health of the industry that's constructing it. And so we believe there's a, that's a missed opportunity here. We're seeing some good stuff happening in different states in terms of reform, but it's just not happening in any sort of consistent way. And we're not sharing the lessons learned that are happening in each of those different jurisdictions. So we came up with a concept where you might remember we originally sort of thought about uh, or suggested that the government might consider uh, following the example of the UK and construct and developing a construction playbook. 
which would set out best practice systems and procedures for delivering infrastructure. That sort of got some interest uh, level there and certainly started the conversation, but for one reason or another, it didn't get up. Uh, albeit, interestingly, it's interesting to see what's happening in New South Wales around how they're adding meat onto the bone of the 10-point commitment with more and more detail, which ultimately could end up being something like a playbook. You know, back to the federal position, we, we came up with a concept called FAIR, the future Australian infrastructure rating, which would build on the success of existing ratings tools like the Infrastructure Sustainability Council rating tool and the Green Star tool, which are both you know, focused on environmental sustainability primarily and have both had a lot of success in driving improved outcomes in the, those areas. We've sort of suggested to the federal government they could take one of those schemes or even work with those existing schemes and add on additional key reform areas that will be tracked. So, you know, things like um, improved culture, sovereign capability, innovation, diversity and inclusion and rate projects on their ability to deliver improved outcomes in those areas. And importantly, those ratings will be made public. And that will be the thing, the impetus for change, because no one's going to want to be associated with low scoring projects, not certainly not the delivery agencies and not also the contractors that are bidding for those projects. They're going to be seeking out the op best opportunities to be associated with a high scoring project. So we've had a number of discussions with the federal government on that, whether ultimately it'll end up being something like FAIR or whether it might be incorporated into the updated national partnership agreement, which is the document that talks or the agreement, the funding agreement between the feds and the states for, for infrastructure. Not 100% sure at this stage, but it's really quite encouraging to see that the federal government is now wanting to do something in this space. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I think I've got two comments on that. I think I've noticed your yeah, government spends money on projects and that's largely their commitment to co the construction industry. When I look at the other industries, they get additional funding to improve things like agriculture, they get money for innovation and improvement. And I think what where you are headed is, I think, is probably what will make a good, big, significant difference to the industry is we need to invest and innovate around the methodologies, the tools, systems, people, etc. So the money that comes for a project is not going to be sufficient, especially when people are not actually making money right in the projects that are being done. I think the other bit on the fair, I love the concept because I think, I guess there's a line that probably you and I from our backgrounds would remember is what gets measured gets improved. That's right. So I think if we implement something like that, it just gives us an opportunity to see, okay, what could be tweaked uh, to make some improvements and it it's often not the big things that need the initial uh, changes it's those small incremental things that make a big difference so i think getting some measuring it firstly allows the improvement to be discussed but also to celebrate the small wins that might be happening over time which people like us probably sort of uh, not see on a day-to-day -day basis right so I think it's really a good concept. And the name, of course, FAIR, I like that. <laughs> it's very, very Australian. And I think something that we all can very well relate to. And talking about the federal government, it was great to know that you were invited to participate and speak at the Jobs and Skills Summit recently for Australia's third largest industry. And I guess one that employs about one in 10 of the working population. We needed a strong voice. And I think ACA provided well. What did you think of the summit like in its entirety, in its overall uh, way it was conducted? Thanks, Chip. I thought it was a great statement of intent, you know, to bring the government, industry and unions um, together to work more collaboratively going forward, because this is exactly what we need. And yeah, okay, the event was pretty scripted. There was a huge amount of engagement before the summit. There were many industry roundtables focused on different subjects like industrial relations, skilled migration, 
training. They're the, probably the three main ones related to our industry. I think what was big takeout for me out of that summit was that whilst, you know, eye upgradation were the things that were probably most in advance of the summit, everyone was sort of talking about this and, and what was going to be discussed and what was going to be agreed. The real key theme from the whole two days that came across was the need to increase diversity and inclusion right across the economy. Mm. And this is something that, that ACA strongly uh, supports. And, and it, it was quite surprising that ultimately, uh, positively surprising, this was the key theme that came out of it. Yeah, and, and the diversity and inclusion thing is interesting because I know, I mean, we've been talking about it in the construction industry, but I mean, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm seeing the number of uh, like how they celebrate, let's say, if a construction company gets a female as a senior leader, it gets mentioned. But I see the airline industry doing the same. If they've got female pilots uh, flying, they put pictures of that, right? So I think it's a topic that I'm seeing that everyone's sort of embracing and, and talking about. You also spoke at the summit, and I've heard uh, short snippets of your of your talk. Uh, what were the main areas you touched on? So you, you sort of touched on it a little bit already, Shiv. Um, you know, construction is the foundation of a strong economy. We're the third largest sector, as you said. We employ one in ten of the working population. We contribute eight percent of the GDP. But our industry is not in great shape. We account for twenty-five percent of all insolvencies. And, you know, famously, according to the McKinsey data, only hunting and fishing has a worse track record when it comes to adoption of digital technologies. Our workers, shockingly, are six times more likely to die from suicide than they are from a workplace incident. We're just talking about diversity there. Women make up only 12% of the workforce, and that number is down to 2 or 3% when we're talking about blue collar. And as an industry, we, you know, we're all too willing to accept the, all of these risks and, and give lump sum prices for that, even though we've seen that movie many times before and we all know how it ends. Mm. Construction, it's not a commodity. It's not like making tins of beans. It's a highly skilled industry that solves complex problems every single day. And back to the skilled migration and training, what we said was that these are really important, but they'll not solve the issues. They will not solve the capability and capacity issues that our industry faces. The only way we can do that is to get more productive to do more with the resources we already have. Change will only happen if government industry and unions leave behind the baggage of history. We're all carrying around this baggage. We all keep referring to what happened, what's happened in the past rather than dropping that and looking forward to the future. And I sort of concluded by saying that um, government as the biggest client for our industry has a real responsibility and, and, and duty to lead the way by acting as a model client. Yeah, yeah. I think that model plan concept is brilliant, and I know you've been you've been speaking about it a lot. But leaving behind the baggage of history, I think, is important for the important for the industry because the IR topic, I guess, is uh, like if I look at all the problems the industry is trying to solve, the technical problems which we are skilled and we are so good at. Uh, I think we are also trying to solve the complex IR problems or, or challenges that are that exist along with, of course, the shortage. So it's not, it's constrained us, right? On one side, we've got a shortage of skills, but on the other side, we've got these complex uh, things that we need to negotiate through. So it gives us, makes, I think, some of the more interesting, fascinating projects even more complex just by these topics. I think so, Shiv. Mm. Uh, I also think we have been having conversations. It's not with unions before. We've been having very good conversations where, um, for example, 
I catch up regularly with Dave Noonan at the CFMEU and we talk about areas of alignment and there's far more where we agree than where we actually disagree but it's just the stuff the where we disagree that, that gets mm. all, makes all the headlines yeah and I think it's important that we build on that stuff where we agree and where we are aligned and I think in the process of doing that those conversations around the stuff that we don't agree actually become a little bit easier that's good to know I mean if these conversations are happening in the background I think there's hope right and that's right yeah so that's fantastic that you gave in the discussions that took place were you satisfied with the response uh, you received I know there's a representation from the federal government but there was a lot of representation from the state governments as well for the feedback that you received was your level of comfort and uh optimism I am quite optimistic actually you know it's it's very early days and a two-day conference and and maybe six weeks of, of meetings leading up to that the early sort of indications are that there is a real appetite by the federal government to utilize its buying power to incentivize change and to do that through you know yes it's the states that that are that do primarily deliver infrastructure but the the federal government can influence change through through the money that it, it grants to the states and what we're seeing is i think um a willingness to do that uh, one of the first people that came over and talked to me after giving my speech was was minister king uh, the minister for infrastructure and had a very positive conversation with her she she um liked uh, what it was that we were talking about we've already had a number of meetings with the minister and around fair and and uh, this opportunity and and all the signs are very uh, encouraging that we will finally start to see some movement in this area yeah well, that's fantastic the big news was the establishment of the national construction industry forum do you have more details on what it is and the role it will play very good question Shiv. that was something that probably fair to say was agreed about the week before the summit even though it was there was a nice sort of stage managed moment during the summit where mm -hmm. uh, i think it was michael wright from the etu suggested that uh, this would be a great idea. And I think it is a good idea beyond the sort of the notional concept of it being a tripartite initiative. So government, industry and unions focused on important matters like diversity, inclusion, training, productivity. The composition and remit of that is still to be finalized. I don't think it will. I don't think the intent is to discuss industrial relations, for example. I think it's going to be back to, you know, what I said just before there around, you know, those areas of alignment that already exist and really diversity and inclusion training and productivity are all things where there is already a fair degree of alignment I think it will be focused on discussing those issues and trying to get progress in those issues but in terms of a specific agenda and, and how it will be set up how it will be governed that is still very much to be worked through we might book in another episode to talk about that <laughs> once that, that goes through so I mean, in general, how convinced are you after the Jobs and Skills Summit? And I know a lot of the audience uh, would be looking forward to this response. Uh, so how convinced are you that the challenges facing the industry will finally, finally be dealt with? I mean, of course, we know that the answer is not now, but there's steps being made. And those are like challenges, of course, with culture, but challenges uh, keeping businesses viable, as you mentioned, risk allocation practices, attracting talent and innovation look we've got no choice chip literally we do not have any choice but to change we will not deliver the pipeline of work ahead of us in the time that we're being asked to deliver it in if we don't change it's mm -hmm. as simple as that you know we're struggling to recruit people surprise surprise because we work long and flexible hours we spend a large amount of our time just arguing with each other we don't focus enough 
on the impact that we have on the environment. And we're stuck in the past when it comes to innovation and adoption of digital technologies. We're still building roads largely like the Romans built the roads. Are we surprised, therefore, we're struggling to attract people into this industry? You know, the younger generation, they don't want to be associated with and working for essentially a laggard like we have become. And so we, if we don't transform, if for no other reason, we will not get those people into the industry to to keep us going. And this is something that we talked about but back at our strategy day again. We started off uh, that strategy day, that, a bit of a facilitated session around where would everyone like to see our industry in 10 years? And the overwhelming majority of people said, we need to see our industry transformed in 10 years. So not incremental changes. We're talking about fundamentally transforming how we procure and deliver projects here in Australia. And to be honest, I think we actually have the opportunity now to do that far quicker. You know, we talked about 10 years in that strategy day. I think we can do that far quicker. We need to do that far quicker. And I think what we're starting to see now is a real alignment around that need both from an industry level, from a union level, and also from a government level. And those are really powerful words that we don't have a choice. And uh, I think it, it's true because I see, I work mainly with the subcontractors and we can see the impact of being a Lagar industry on a lot of these smaller companies because the, the bigger companies, the government is a client, they're very easily able to recruit people, not very easily, but relatively easily. But it's the subcontractors who then struggle to keep, and that's where the work happens, right? They're the ones that's who right. get the work done. So I think those are very important lines. And yeah, if there's an opportunity to do it quicker, we should, because I guess we're competing with every other industry who's trying to progress. And probably they know that construction is coming from behind. I'm not sure about the hunting and uh, fishing industries, but uh, definitely the others are working hard. So as I mentioned, I mainly work with small to medium-sized construction companies, and they're reliant on tier one contractors. So as a head of the peak body representing larger construction companies, is there advice you'd like to share with the leaders of small to medium-sized construction companies? Yeah, construction's a complex network businesses from small to large contractors. You know, we've got suppliers, we've got consultants. I really don't, I'm not a fan of talking about uh, trying to break our industry up. You know, there's lots of talks about tier ones, tier twos, tier threes, tier fours, different sectors of our industry, horizontal, vertical, housing, this, that, the other, you know, we are a complex network of industries. I get asked a little bit in recent times to talk about house building around the issues of house building. And, and you know, I, uh, that's not something that our members have focused on. But the important thing is that we, what happens in one part of the industry can have a ripple effect all the way through the industry. So yes, for example, at the moment, a lot of house builders are really doing it tough. Government can actually help that sector through improving the general liquidity in the market because a lot of those trades that work on house building also work in, in on high-rise, for example. And so, you know, you can increase liquidity in the government sort of sector. That will naturally flow through. So, you know, advice that I can give to those sort of the smaller contractors is that I think that in the future, the governments will place increased emphasis on non-cost elements that contribute to the overall value of the project. I think we're going to see belatedly a, a real review of what we consider to be value for money. I think this old 
outdated concept, largely driven by treasuries, that value for money is just achieving the lowest possible price of the tender box. Thankfully, that is now being seen to be, doesn't deliver value for money. And value for money includes things like innovation. It includes things like productivity, environmental sustainability, sovereign capability, diversity and inclusion. Now, all of these things, especially from a government perspective, and I think we'll start to see through procurement processes a greater focus on those value for money elements and, and weighting put against each of those different non-cost mm. criteria. And so I think that there's a huge opportunity for businesses that capitalize on that and provide something different in these particular areas. And I think from a main contractor perspective, as we all know, a lot of the innovation comes from the supply chain. And if there is going to be this increased emphasis on these other non-cost elements, the, the businesses that are really able to offer something different in those areas are, are going to be the businesses that are going to succeed going forward. Yeah, I think that's uh, very important and that's really good to hear. Because at the moment, like, I mean, just on the topic of innovation, forgetting like diversity, inclusion, et cetera, just on the topic of innovation, it's almost like a risk that a smaller company takes on if they yep. propose something new or embrace a new technology to deliver a particular project. Sort of, you do it with hesitation or you don't do it at all. But I think if the value for money concept comes in and the government gives it some weightage, a topic or a focus on innovation is given some prominence, it encourages the grassroots level of the industry, universities, smaller businesses, technology companies to now go in and try these things and make the industry better. And that's how the other industries, let I would say, probably have, have implemented some of the transformational improvement they've seen. They're able to bring in workforce of a different background and probably get work done, right? So I think that's really, really good to hear. And that's right. And I think that the other thing that governments need to do to, to encourage this, you're right in terms of innovation almost being a risk. And part of that is we spend innovation usually requires investment. Mm. And what we're seeing is, and this is something that we've raised at a number of forums recently, that governments have historically sort of said, you know, we, we're interested in innovation. You know, give, it, give us a, an apples for apples tender and then give us an alternate that gives us your, your innovation. And given how much money goes into producing these tenders, we've had a crack at doing that. But what we're finding is that it all becomes too hard. They just want uh, delivery agencies are under pressure to get these jobs awarded. They just want the apples for apples comparison mm. and rarely does that innovation get looked at. That needs to be addressed, but also we need to move away from these highly prescriptive specifications that we're yeah. asked to price. Because how can we innovate when we're told to the last detail, you know, the material that that nut and bolt's got to be made out of, where the nut and bolt's got to come from? Now, where's the innovation going to come from if we uh, still have that high degree of prescription um, in there? Yeah, no, I think the, that's, uh, the prescription thing is something I see a lot of. I think the other opportunity, I guess, is uh, in just the way the work bundled together, right? Like, and I think mm. this is an example we might have talked about in the, in the past, which is for building bridges, it's good to look at 50 bridges at the one time and work out how a group of contractors probably can deliver 50 bridges because, yes, the first five might be challenge but then the other 45 get delivered with high levels of innovation and it allows these smaller businesses and even some of the bigger companies to then invest in innovate but knowing that there's 50 bridges to be built not just the one and uh, that's a great point Shiv uh, we've been heavily sort of promoting this as well this idea of like enterprise delivery models of which level crossing removal program in yeah, Alberta example one. and the MIPV roads born or partnering for success with Sydney Water 
They're great examples, exactly. And they give increased opportunity for the supply chain to get involved right early on and to bring some of that innovation in there. And it, what it also does, those models also do is reduce the amount of time we spent wasting money on tenders just to give the illusion of value for money. Let's do it once and then let's bring everyone together and let's then focus our time and effort on doing things a lot smarter, more productively. Yeah. And one thing I hear from the ground and something like that, the the, the, the projects you mentioned in the long-term focus does is from the worker point of view, because that's also a challenge with the construction industry, the workforce that's coming through, they don't like to move from one project to another and not have that seven mm. because the other industries offer a lot of serenity compared to us. But if 50 bridges are bundled together, level crossing project, partnering for success, if works bundled for an extended period of time, the young individuals who are coming out of university who are looking to settle down, purchase a house, start a family, if they've got serenity around work, they know where they're going to be based, what they'll be working on. They've got a career roadmap based around that particular project it makes our industry a lot attractive because at the moment, there's a certain few of us who probably want to move around from place to place, work on different projects. We've probably all done that in our early careers, but it's not everyone who wants to do that. And I think that's also putting a constraint on the workforce, right? So, Oh, that, and that's right. And, and back to the industrial relations piece as well, a, a big part of that conversation is around the industry's use of, of labor hire, for example. Mm. And, and why is that? Well, that's partly because of the unpredictable nature of the pipeline of work. So again, you know, if you can increase that predictability through things like enterprise models, then the permanency of work will will, will improve. Yeah, John, it's been a great discussing, and I think we can carry on and make a few more episodes out of it. But I'll stop here, keep keeping in mind time. But where can people get more information about ACA? Its contribution to the Jobs and Skills Summit and the work it does. Yeah, thanks, Shiv. Look. Detailed information, the best place for detailed information is our website, constructors.com.au. But I really encourage all of you listeners to follow ACA on LinkedIn because we do post very, very regularly on matters, all of the matters that we're working on and latest updates. And so that's the best place to find information. Yep. I'll share the details on the show notes. And John, before we finish, uh, do you have a final message for the audience? Yeah, I do. Thanks, Shiv. You know, you all have a part to play in achieving the change that our industry needs. I've just talked about the need for our industry to transform. I think we all uh, agree that that is necessary. And you all have a role to play in achieving that. You know, get informed about these issues and please don't be afraid to challenge the status quo, challenge the norm. When, you, when you're seeing some same old, same old, don't be afraid to go and say, well, actually, there's got to be a better way of doing that because usually there is. And a great way to keep informed is to keep listening to podcasts such as this, Shiv, this great podcast, because I know just how passionate for change you are on these issues and uh, very much appreciated your support over the last few years. Yeah, thanks very much, John. And it's also great having leaders like yourself supporting and leading our industry from here to the future. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. Your insights will help many more construction business owners and leaders grow their business and be the competitive contractor. John, thank you once again. Thanks, Shiv. 